0: Parshas yigash, and we're going to explore something, uh, an incredibly, I think, important idea that the Nesif is going to give us, and he's going to leave us hanging a little bit, and we're going to have to fill in with uh, uh, some of our own ideas to uh, make it whole, but, uh, but it's an important idea, and in general, we're going to start by highlighting a couple of questions, of course. So, the first is, that at the beginning of the Parsha, there is... A conflict going on. You've got Yosef, <clears throat> and he wants to hold on to Binyamin. And Yehuda doesn't want to tolerate that. And they clash heads in the beginning, and Yehuda approaches Yosef to speak to him, and Rashi tells us that he's going to speak harshly. And uh, there is something going on here. There is a standoff between a Yosef and Yehuda. Now, of course, in the story, this makes sense as just a story, but none of this is just a story. So, the first question would be, and, and, and will magnify it even more when we look at the Haftarah that the Nisiv Shalom points out to us, which is, what, what is this conflict between Yehuda and Yosef? Or what, what does that mean to us? That there is a conflict between this person Yehuda, one of the Shvatim, and this person Yosef, one of the other Shvatim. And obviously, in a certain sense, this conflict uh, began earlier. You see that there was some sort of contention with Yosef and whatever it was that he was standing for that led them to sell him or want to kill him and ultimately sell him. So there's a tension going on here between the Shvatim and Yosef and Yehuda and Yosef. And the question is, what is it? Particularly, if you look at the Haftarah for the Yigash, then Nesiv Shalom says, and this is the first sukkim that are on our page, this is a prophecy that Yechazkel is saying, and it's referring to the coming of Mashiach, the end of time. And it says, after ben Adam, you, person, echad, take one stick, uchsoi v'alav li and write on that stick that like this stick is the Yehuda and Jews stick. The lokach echad, take another stick, the of alav, and write on it, li Eight Ephraim. This is the Yosef's stick, okay, right? Well, it's unbelievable. We just had this in the parsha, right? There's this standoff between these two individuals, and now at the end of time Hashem's taking saying, take this stick, which seems to have inscribed on it and perhaps represent Yehuda and the Jews, and take another stick which represents Yosef, Bichobes Israel, Khabe, and his group of Jews. The Qur'ab Oisam Echod echod and bring the two sticks together. Bring the two sticks together and let them be one in your hand. Something very mysterious. Now I want to say simply put, what is this prophecy about? What we call Pashat, the simple reading and explanation which every Pasuk has and holds true to forever, even if you begin to expound on a verse, it never, ever leaves its simple understanding of what Hashem is communicating. It just has many, many layers to it. The simple message that Hashem is saying over there is that we know that there are ten lost tribes. So, at the end of time, Hashem is saying, you have one stick represents the part of the Jews we have, one stick represents the ten lost tribes, and now they're going to be reunited. Hashem saying in this vision, He's promising that He is going to, at the end of time when the Shekh comes, He's going to bring back all of those lost shvatim, all of those lost tribes, and the for all the Jewish people, will be whole again with all twelve. That is the simple meaning. However, it's certainly being placed with the Parsha where there's some sort of standoff between Yehuda and Yosef, and they chose this half Torah. To have to do with that standoff that we see in the show. there's obviously a deep connection going on, and the scribe Shalom wants to know what names, tribes, to, to say. The Yehuda, even though you could, you do call the tribes by their names of their original shvatan as well, but it's you know certainly the idea of taking the two sticks, bringing them together, they should be one in your hand. There's something going on there that's certainly a message, especially since that entire performance of putting them on sticks and saying you should hold on to them together is a little bit of a strange way to communicate. The fact that uh, even the can even the continue, and when the Jews will say, what are you doing? Because it's strange, you will say, well, Hashem is trying to communicate this. So, there's something uh, unusual going on, and what what is the deeper significance of that? Right, so That's one question. The question being, again, what is the conflict between Yehuda and Yosef, and what is this prophecy saying about them becoming one? Now, a second question, which is quite independent, but what the Nesib brings down in this piece will help us resolve a problem and a a difficulty or confusion which has bothered me for years and this year was a big breakthrough for me in this uh, area and this is connected to Hanukkah so that it should stay alive with us. (coughs) Which is in the beginning of Parshas Vayeshev. It starts and it says, these are the children of Yaakov. Yosef was 17 years old. And Rashi right there is bothered by what a strange uh, place to, firstly, obviously, you're leaving out the rest of the children of Yaakov. So there's some sort of focus here on Yosef. And what a strange place to all of a sudden interject and say, these are the children of Yaakov, Yosef. You want to talk about Yosef, talk about Yosef. But to make this whole to-do, these are his children, and it's, who is the children? It's Yosef. And Rashi quotes a medrash. And the medrash says as follows. If you look at the end of the previous parsha, it ended by delineating the descendants of Esau. And it's Aleph this, if you ever were in Shoah at that time, you remember, because Aleph this, Aleph this, Aleph this, Aleph this, what's all the Aleph? Aleph means a chief. He was a chief, he was a chief, he was a chief, he was a chief, he was a chief. All these chieftains and leaders and powerful figures are coming out of Esau. Says the Medrash that Yaakov sees what's occurring in the family of Esau and he's afraid. This is his mortal enemy, And it's overwhelming the power that Esau is accruing with his family as it grows. They are being extremely successful. And that's obviously a threat to Yaakov physically but spiritually more importantly. So the Medrash says that Hashem responds to him, you have Yosef. Don't be afraid because you have Yosef. And it says a parable. It says there's a blacksmith and a camel that is carrying a tremendous amount of flax, and it's so much flax that it threatens to like inundate. You know, it doesn't give the details in the in the parable, but it, the blacksmith is afraid. Seems like he's afraid of just being inundated with flax. I don't know. You can't, can't can't function. So much flax. So he's afraid of this this tremendous amount of flax coming in. And the wise person says to the blacksmith, "What are you afraid about? One spark from your hammer." And all the flax is gone. You have nothing to be worried about. Says the Medrash, so said Hashem to Yaakov. You see so much Esau. What do you have to be afraid about? Asav is flax. You are fire and Yosef is your spark. Yosef is your fire which can leap out and consume. It catches on Esau and Asaf's gone. So the question is obviously, what on earth is that talking about? (laughs) The profound question on that Rashi is what on earth? I mean, that's very nice, but what does that mean actually? What is that trying to tell you? What's the fear of What 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 is Yosef Salab? What does that mean that Yosef's the solution? What's the parable? The reason why this is connected to Hanukkah, and I think Hanukkah is going to give us a little bit of an extra depth of understanding to this, is because there's a Gemara and the Gemara in Shabbos says something which is going to sound remarkably familiar. It says if a person puts his menorah outside like the way they used to and the way they do in Israel, and a camel comes by, which is filled with flax, and gets lit on fire by the menorah, the person who put the menorah there is not obligated to pay him back because he was doing a mitzvah, he's allowed to put his menorah there. So obviously the parable is striking. It's hard to miss. There are other parables parallels, I'm sorry, between the Menorah and Yosef. And there's obviously a very strong parallel. Somehow this Menorah and Yosef, they're the same spark. They're the same spark. Our Menorah is burning the flax as well. Yosef burns the flax. But again, the question is what does it actually mean? What is this spark which burns the flax? So we've got these two questions. What's the conflict, the relationship between Yehuda and Yosef and the idea of somehow maybe some unification of it? And what is this idea that Yosef and the Menorah, this spark which can consume asub Okay. So says the Nesiv Shalom. <coughs> Yosef and Yehuda had two different perspectives on how a Jew should be a Jew. And we know that we see this throughout history. Avram was focused on chesed, kindness. He was operating with a certain love as his main character trait. Meaning, Hashem, let's spell this out a little bit. You've probably heard the term spheros before. Spheros are... Ten attributes through which Hashem interacts with the world. Hashem is obviously beyond anything, but there's an interface. And they're basically broken down to ten, and combinations of these ten, but ten ways in which Hashem interacts with the world, ten characteristics which exist in Hashem's interaction with the world, and which also interact within every person. And they can use any of them, or a mixture of them, in the things they do, and particularly in the way they connect to Hashem. And part of that is by connecting to the way Hashem is using that character trait, and that itself is using your character trait. For example, let's just give a a plain example. If one wanted to say, I'm focused on the fact that Hashem is kind, and therefore I'm going to emulate that and be kind, so one is developing a relationship with Hashem through the kindness that he uses in the world, and one is also exercising their own kindness in developing that relationship with Hashem. So they're connecting, that would be called connecting in the realm or in the sphere, in that dominion of kindness, chesed. But Hashem's obviously got got much that He does, and much about Him, and uh, one can connect in many different ways. And you can't focus on everything, we tend to focus on particular areas, sometimes it's our nature, sometimes it's what we think is the best way to connect. So These were great individuals. Avram connected through kindness. He felt Hashem's kindness in the world and he emulated that and he connected to Hashem through that. Yitzchak, absolute opposite. He appreciated Hashem's gevura and might, the awe of Hashem. And he developed that part of himself and that appreciation of Hashem and he connected deeply with Hashem through that. So we know that this is what's happening. These great people... They both developed certain parts of themselves, and they believed that certain ways of connecting were perhaps better than others, would develop certain parts which would be best. We know that Abram was amazing, and Yitzchak was amazing, but Yaakov developed a certain perfect balance. It's called the Bechira Abba. us a balance between those two, which is Tiferes. So, we have this going on throughout these great individuals that they are uh, trying to hone this perfect way of connecting to Hashem or developing at least their own perfect way, uh, the way that connects them the most to Hashem and and serve Him and really develop that bond with Him the most. Yehuda and Yosef had two different perspectives on how to do this. And it is a fascinating distinction between them. Here says the Nesiva Shalom. Yehuda who melech malchus. Yehuda, now they're both called kings Yosef was a king, and Yehuda was a king, and in fact you see this play out later in history, that there are two Mashiachs. Mashiach is king, and there are two Mashiachs. Mashiach the son, we call Ben Yosef, and Mashiach Ben David, which is Yehuda. So you've got two Mashiachs, two of these kings, because they're both Somehow kings, they represent a very fundamental part of Judaism. But they yet have a difference, which is why we have two Mashiachs later. So what is this difference that they each represent and each stood for? And let's see how that plays out in our lives. Yehuda who Melech Malchus. You know what Yehuda felt was the way for a Jew? The primary focus of a Jew to connect to Hashem? It was through Malchus. What does that mean? It means a focus on Hashem's kingship. And this is what that means in terms of the human personality. Sheinyano, what it means is, kabolas ol shemayim, accepting the yoke of heaven, of the kingship of heaven, meaning accepting that Hashem is king, be'emunam p'shuta, with simple faith, and here's the line that really spells it out, she'gam kansher enay margish hargosha Hashem, so that even when a Jew doesn't feel anything, in his service of God, even when it's not lighting up and he doesn't feel an emotional resonation and a connection, he still continues to serve with faith. He is tapping into the feeling that Hashem is king and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't stop. The show does not stop if you're disinterested or it doesn't feel right to you. He's still the king. And you they're connected very deeply to this feeling that Hashem is the king. And he's the king and the king, you do what the king says to do. And Munapshuta, I don't, I don't feel it, but I know it. I know he's king and therefore I'm gonna serve him and I'm gonna be faithful to him and I'm gonna come through for him. Why? Because he's the king and I accept his kingship. Do you like it? Do you feel it? No, 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 maybe I don't. But I relate deeply to the fact that he's king. And I'm here for the king. Long live the king. I'm here for the king. It's a lot of devotion. Right? Very, very interesting. Because listen to the contrast, and I think we're going to relate both of these very much in our lives. That's Yehuda. And Yehuda felt that was the primary way to go about connecting to Hashem. The Yosef, who melech b'minas Yosef, was functioning with a different one of the ten spheres. A different attribute. And that was side, which is Midas HaChuka. The character trait of passion. Chuka. To yearn for something. Passion. Says in the Shalom, this is the conflict that's going on between these two leaders among the children of Yaakov. Yehuda stands for forget the passion. You've got to just dig your heels in and say, Hashem's king, Hashem's king, and I accept that and keep on going. And Yosef is pushing for feel it, love it, be enthusiastic, feel that fire, that chukah, that yearning, that passion. And there's a conflict going on. Which should be the primary focus? Which should be the way that we connect? and it's unbelievable when you just hear the two right? and you feel that in your own life these two playing out and we're going to see very much show the way that needs to be but he says that this is the conflict that's being represented and what was actually going on in the story and even why they decided to sell Yosef because Yehuda was the functional king of the, of the, of the tribes at that time <clears throat> even though there was a formal king he was going to be king and he had that attribute of kingship and he was viewed as the king And somebody who's who's trying to rebel against the king, you know what the punishment is? If there's a Jewish king and a person wants to rebel against the king, you know what the punishment is? Death. Merut b'malchus, the Jews take it very seriously, kingship. It needs to be given the proper weight. The person is not allowed to take it lightly. And if a person rebels against the king, the punishment is death. So they said, Yosef, who's coming up and suggesting a different way which he believes should be the primary way to connect, but Yehuda is saying, This is the way. You're rebelling against the king, you need to be put to death. This is the conflict that's going on, and the Shvatim are siding with Yehuda, and Yosef's trying to fight for passion. What's the truth? Right? Exactly right. So they, though, seem to have felt that one should take. Primacy over the other. And we're going to see that that's what he's going to say. The Haftarah comes on this Parsha to tell you, yes, there's conflict in the Parsha. You see the conflict between the brothers. But come read the Haftarah and hear what Hashem ends up deciding about this conflict. What did Hashem say? So that's the second paragraph here. And this is where he's going to sort of leave us hanging and we're going to have to fill in some of the gaps. (coughs) Ach, devar Hashem. El Hanabihu but Hashem's words to the prophet Yechezkel you know what they tell us? what did he say? take one stick that says Yehuda take one stick that says Yosef bring them together let them be one in your hand now let's see Shalom talking Hashem because The greatest way, the most ultimate way in serving Hashem, you need to have both of these attitudes functioning simultaneously. Now listen to these words. Okay? Because actually, you cannot have one without the other. Because you cannot have the acceptance of the yoke of heaven with just effort, with stealing yourself and pushing forward, without passion. And you cannot have passion. Without this attitude of, I accept the yoke of heaven, whether I feel it or not. It's only when they're unified and you have one when you have them together, then you can actually have either of these two. Unfortunately, that's all the that Nasty Shalom has to say on this topic. After that he goes off to talk about other things. So he leaves us it leaves us with quite a weighty line. And that is that he says, there's a conflict. Yehuda says, just feel yourself and keep going. Hashem is the king and blind. I don't want to say blind faith. That's a terrible way to say it. Okay, simple faith. Whether you like it or not, whether you feel it or not, just keep on going. Yehudah says, you got to feel it. You got to wake up in the morning with that fire, that zeal. You got to go at it with that, with that emotional investment. And Hashem says, you need both. And says in the Messiah Shalom, not only you need both, you cannot have either one, neither one will work without the other one. And we're left to figure out, <laughs> why don't they work? Why do we need both of these in our lives? Why do we need to have Yosef and Yehuda? What is this parsha telling us? It's telling each of us that we need to make sure we have a Yosef and a Yehuda inside of us. We need to make sure we have a passion and a devotion and a commitment, and they need to happen together. And I want to work out today. Some of the, and I, I admit that this, some of this is my my own thinking. Some of this is taken from other svarim. It's it's the nesiv shalom left me hanging. What was I to do? Okay. So the question being. In a very practical way, why is it? What is this idea that we need both of them? And I think I think some of the, the ideas will jump out at us as, as obvious. And I think some of the ideas are less obvious. Why you cannot have one without the other. Why it's only the two together that form really the greatest connection that you can have with Hashem. So let's start with one side of the equation. And this is the side that's going to connect us back to that parable with the flax. And it's going to connect us to Hanukkah. And I think something that Hanukkah is telling us and an important thing to walk out of Hanukkah with into our lives. And that is the need to have passion. So the Yisoy HaAvoidah from slonim. So we'll keep our first part of this, we're still getting our answers from the Slonim line. Not to Sean, but it's not the Shalom, but if you go further up, later back, his Rebbe's that came before him, the Yisoyed HaVallagim, Slanim says, an unbelievable parable. <coughs> fundamental. It's a fundamental concept. He says, a guy was told to clear out a forest. He says, yeah, you know that joke, by the way? You know that joke? You know, it's a joke, the guy's you know, applying for a for, for a lumberjack position, right? And at one point this scrawny guy comes in and they look skeptically at him, really? I'm applying for lumberjack. They said, hey, maybe you want to tell us, you know, some work you've done previously. So he said, Oh, I used to work at uh clearing the Sahara Forest. So the guy says, Do you mean the Sahara Desert? He says, Oh, is that what they call it now? <laughs> So, that's the guy. That's a joke I heard many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I don't think they gave him the position. <laughs> um, so, a guy's given the, the he started the says this parable. A guy's given the task. You know what, buddy? Clear out this forest. So he says, if a guy goes, all right, takes his axe, and goes out there and uh, chopping down one tree at a time, what, what's he, how, how far is he going to get? Taking five trees, I mean, how long can you go, right? How long can you wield your axe? How long can you go at it? One tree at a time, it's just too many trees. You collapse after a while. You just can't do it. He says, so what do you do? So if the guy's smart, you know what he does? He, go out, he goes out there, and he starts a fire. You light a fire, and you know what the fire is? The fire wipes out the entire bombers after 24 hours. He said, as I said, it's the same thing in Judaism you have a forest to clear out. You've got your inclinations and your temptations and everything wrong in the world that's inside of you, outside of you, and all this that needs to be cleared away and dealt with. If you go at it with an axe, if you go at it with just commitment, and you say, well, I'm just going to stand and not let this thing happen. Well, I would like to. I want to go that way. But you know what? No, I'm committed. Hashem's the king. I'm not going to let myself do that. Okay, so you stand there with your axe mighty chop down that yitar okay good well five minutes later or a day later how about you do that no nope, no nope, I would love to but I'm committed Hashem is the king pull out your axe again your trusty axe and you go at it okay but the problem is there's a forest of these trees and you could knock down five ten I don't know how many you can knock down but eventually you just can't keep going you'll, you'll burn out before you clear that forest said to Yisrael HaVoyed, do you know what you really need to do you need to light a fire in your Judaism your Judaism has to have a fire fueling it you need to have a fire for mitzvahs a fire for doing right a Passion for being with Hashem. If you have a passion for being with Hashem, then you don't have to deal with every one of those temptations as just standing there with your axe and trying to hack it down so that it doesn't steamroll you. Because you have a fire burning for where you want to be, for what you want to be part of, and that tree just gets consumed in that. I'm not doing that because I want to be with Hashem. I, I love Hashem. I love mitzvahs. I love what I get out of it. I love the connection. I love the reward. Whatever it is that fire is that fuels you, there's got to be a fire and a passion. And that consumes many, many more trees than you can ever do just wielding an axe with commitment alone. Muscle can't get you as far as the fire of passion in Judaism. That's the side of my point. It's an incredible point that I think we need to take to heart. Seriously, that component of passion, the fire, is a very necessary component. And now, of course, the parable from that Rashi, from that Medrash, makes a thousand percent sense. Esau, what does Yakov see? So much flax! So much flax! How do you deal with so much flax? If I've got to go over there and shred up each piece of flax, how do you shred up each piece of flax? It's overwhelming. And the answer was? What did Nesif Shalom say Yosef was? Passion. The answer is, you've got Yosef. If you've got Yosef, then you don't got to deal with each piece of flax. You've got a fire and much of that flax will just get consumed. Just get your spark to touch that flax. Get a passion in something in Judaism. Get that passion going and then you are going to consume the flax faster than you can imagine. Don't be afraid of Esau because a little bit of passion in Judaism can consume a whole lot of Esau. Now the manure is that same spark. What is the manure? I think the manure teaches us one added dimension to this. The manure is that same spark which consumed the same flax in that Gemara. But I thought of something very striking This this... Hanukkah. I said, okay, guy says, you know what? we got to have passion for Judaism. We've got to be alive in our Judaism. So what does guy want to do? Make my whole Judaism alive, right? You look at your whole menorah. Your menorah is the entire Judaism right there, represents there, everything about you. And you say, let's light it all up. First night, okay, you convinced me. I want eight candles in there. Let's just light this baby up, Right? <laughs> You know what the problem is? That's not going to happen. And if you think that's the way you have to begin, then you're not going to go anywhere. And Hanukkah is there to tell us: you, you, Yes, it's the fire that will consume us. This is the fire that will fuel you, the passion that will make you great. And it starts with one little candle. You don't start. You don't start with eight. You can't start with eight. But you can start with one. And if you start with one, then the next night you will have two. And then you will have three, and by the end you will have eight. And then your whole menorah will be lit. But you've got to be willing to start with one. Just find somewhere in Yiddishkeit. Find a mitzvah. The Chedish of Rim says that if a person did one mitzvah, really just threw himself into it, it would drag the rest of Judaism with it. One place of passion... That's all you need to start the fire, and then it can spread. But we need to ask ourselves, is there somewhere in Judaism that I have a passion? If there isn't, where can I create one? If I have one, how can I stop ignoring it? How can I develop it? What's that thing that I like that feels something special to me, and let me create it, let me help it grow, let me feed it, let me give it the opportunity And with that, you, you give yourself a tremendous power. That's a tremendous power. And eventually, you end up with eight. Eight flames, a full menorah, and a full Jew, with tremendous passion for Hashem. So that's the first part of the equation. You can't have Yehuda without Yosef. You've got to have the passion. If you go all way, all Yehuda, all commitment, it's just a matter of time before you burn out. And you throw in the towel, and then it's over. You can't. You can't go on that way. You need the passion. The passion is the real way to victory. However, and this part, I think the first part is a little bit more intuitive. That you need passion. The second part, that you need commitment, is a little bit less intuitive, I think. Or, we just don't like it as much. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's less intuitive or we just like to ignore it more. Okay? Okay. But we need to understand, why does passion not work alone? The first, again, I'm, I'm expressing some of the things I've seen and some of the things that occur to me. I think the first aspect to it is something that we would, we would say would, would, would be the obvious answer that jumps out to us, at us. Why can't you just have passion without commitment? What's the most obvious reason why why passion alone is not going to work?
1: It was. Because yeah, because the, the passion then maybe first of all you might have it might go overboard to the other direction or, or it might be misdirected.
0: Okay, that, that's a that's a good point. We we might get to that as the, as a third reason. Yes, that's a third reason. What Eileen's pointing out is also which is that. What happens, I mean, passion can't be for, even as you can, it's hard to maintain a, a, a real passion constantly, 24-7. So what happens when the passion's there? If, if, you're, if the only reason you're invested is because of passion, what happens when there's no passion? So, I said, well, what's the problem? It's true. I might be making one point, which is, well, if you want to be a total good Jew all the time, then what's going to happen when there's no passion? You're not going to be a good Jew. But I'm making a bigger point than that. Because what if you want to say to me, good, so I won't be there when there's no passion, but then I will be there there when there's passion again. Okay, so firstly, obviously, we need to be a Jew 100% of the time. So we need something to... We need an operating system like the Moronim says. You need to have the more basic parts of Judaism solid so that when you're more lofty ways of interacting with Hashem, when they start to fail, because we know Hashem sends every single Jew has days of greater awareness and, and less awareness. And that's part of the cycle of a Jew. Is that there has to be rises and falls. There has to be a Nephila and that Nephila catapults you upward. You have a falling and that catapults you higher. You have to have that. and It's a part of the life cycle of every Jew. And if a person ever uh, has one of those and I, I imagine we all have them often, they should never feel that it's because of them. This is the bread and butter of a Jew. Is the ups and downs of this. Even when they're having a great day and they connect to Hashem, it can it could go lights out. That's the way it's meant to be. And so simply put, like the modern 9 said, you need to have something to fall back on. Okay, so you need commitment. You need commitment to fall back on for when, when you're not feeling passion. But, but I want to say something deeper than that. You love it when it resonates. But if you don't show up when it doesn't resonate, then you will not have a relationship to come back to for it to resonate again. That's not the way a relationship works. You can't show up on a good day, disappear on a bad day, and then think that there will be another good day. Where do you think that good day is going to come from? If you walk out of the relationship, when you're not feeling it, then there is no more relationship to get back to the passion again. And of course, you know the most obvious example of this is a marriage, right? If there's ever a conflict, if a person would decide that every time there's a conflict, well, I'm out, there will be no, no resolution to the conflict and there'll be no reigniting of the passion and there'll be no good day as if you don't see yourself through a rough day. Now with Hashem, there's no conflict between you and Him, but there could be disinterest from your side. You're just not feeling it. We're just not feeling it on that day. Well, if we continue to show up on that day... Then the relationship is still alive. And then you know what might happen the next day? The passion could come back. If Hashem decides, or if we see the right material, we get the right inspiration. Sometimes we just need some sleep. <laughs> I mean, it seriously. A lot of things Im- uh, uh, impact our emotions. And one day could not light up, but the next day could. But you know what makes it really hard for day number three to light up? Is if on day number two you just veil and you don't show up and you drift away well day number three you're not even in the right position to get excited about it you're not at any of the venues which are spiritually meaningful anymore you know because when you were out for that month when you weren't feeling it you just took a vacation so you didn't keep the structure of the relationship within which you could then reconnect with passion I think that's less intuitive a really important point is that the relationship has to keep going and when you keep it going then it could get reignited and you're in the right place and you're in uh, surrounded by the right people and the right material and the right spirituality and the right influences you're there you're ready to be re-inspired and you're ready in terms of your connection to Hashem you just didn't have the passion but everything else is there and the passion could come back like that as long as we don't Disappear and go get married to somebody else in the meantime. No, seriously, that's what it really is saying, right? If you go marry somebody else in the meantime, oh, it's much harder <laughs> to, to fix the first marriage if in the meantime you ended up in some you know, shady corner of downtown, right? It does happen, it happens a lot to, I think
1: to Balt that they go to Israel and they get inspired and they go, woo! And then as soon as the woo is out, they haven't gotten the commitment yet. They've just been, it's been a fantasizing relationship. It, it, it's like when you first meet someone, mm-hmm. all in love. And then a lot of times, unfortunately, they swing back the other way. And then they never come back.
0: Now, well, I agree 100%. 100%. Yeah, I agree 100%. It, it, it's dangerous if people don't realize that you need to have both both factors to it.
1: Like the candle thing. I had a friend who did outreach work, and he said that he's much more optimistic. One, one young person says to him, um, I'm going to go home and I'm going to throw out all my dishes and I'm going to change my location over and over. I'm going to keep Shabbos. Or this guy who comes up to him says, You know what? I'm not going to McDonald's anymore.
0: He said he's much more hopeful for that second person. Right. Because when it's this overwhelming passion, exactly right. And I I think that sometimes in Kiruv there is this danger, which is selling people on the passion, which is the thing that, of course, people thirst for and connect to. And there is so much to have, but you run into this serious difficulty, which is it's not an accurate portrayal of what the experience is. Not that the experience is anything less beautiful, but it's not always going to Sparkle like that, it's not always going to be that dazzling. You know, what, what are they? You know, what, the, what people call love. You know, as if it says, you know, uh, that love at first sight. Well, that's actually not possible. So you mean something else? You mean that you were just wooed at first sight? Love is going to take a lot longer to develop. But in order for it to, to develop, you got to stick, stay in, and stick it through to develop the love. So people, it's true, 100% true. And in fact, a, uh, somebody who was impacted by my grandfather, Abolish Chuva, wrote an article about him. And she said, I think she said this, if I'm getting it correct, said that um, the reason, what she felt was a contrast between the people who became religious through my grandfather and through others sometimes, he said is because Rabbi Tursky never pretended it wasn't going to be difficult. He just said there would be joy in the battle. There would be joy in that fight. This is the most joyous way to live. There may be a struggle. Is a struggle to grow. Is a struggle to connect. But it's the most beautiful, pleasurable existence. It's just doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. This is just where you want to be and where you want to put the effort in. But when it feels when it's gonna when it's this portrayal of a fantasy, everything is just you know so quaint. It's just not true. It doesn't happen like that all the time. And the real development is through those difficult times. Then you get those moments and they come and they go. And ultimately, you know, even the times when you're going with faith can have a lot of a, a quieter sense of passion to them, which is a passion for that commitment and the love. But it doesn't have that same sparkle and that same love struck feeling to it so that's a very very important balance 100 percent correct and it's, it's very very necessary i think as individuals we we, we don't like to show up when it's not <laughs> resonating and it's very important to recognize that just on that simplest of level to keep the connection alive is the only way you could have the passionate points and ultimately it, it's a tremendous part of developing the fullness of the relationship and that that really point number two is very deeply connected to that and the, the second point is, again, also, these are, these are more subtle points. The second point is, and very deeply connected, which is that you actually cannot have a relationship. Forget keeping the relationship around. Forget the fact that if you bail, then you won't have a relationship to connect to with passion. You actually cannot have a passionate relationship. If you're not in a committed relationship. Because then you're not in a relationship. Relationship means dedication. It means you're there and bonded with them. And you will be there with them and committed to them even when it doesn't feel so good. That's the definition of relationship. That is actually what the passion is born out of. The passion is born out of that sense of of connection. That sense of intimacy. The sense that we got each other's back. And that means that in the dark times you stick together and you stick it through. And that's what fuels the passion. And Dessler's famous line that Ava, to love, comes from the word Hav, which is to give. is because the giving is what fuels the connection. So it actually is an impossibility. Like the Nesibish said, you can't have passion without commitment. Not just because the relationship will fail, but because there is no relationship without commitment. There's nothing to get passionate about if you're not willing to commit. That's just a fling. Flings don't have passion. If you want passion, passion comes from giving, from sacrificing, from doing the things you don't want to do. And an unbelievable interpretation actually occurred to me. We say every day, love Hashem your God with all your heart, soul, and money. So, we, the simple understanding, which is a, an extreme statement of dedication, is love your God so much so that even if He takes something from you, you're, you'll still love Him. And even if He wants to kill you, you would give your life for Him. And even if it comes down to that, even if there's money on the line, you would give it up for Him. Love Him to such an extent that you would give Him. Your heart, soul, and mind. A, a, a novel interpretation occurred to me which is actually such a simple read that I I'm, I'm, cannot believe that I haven't seen this written before. Someone must say this. No. A new interpretation. Of course, the simple meaning is the, is the simple meaning. Just giving a new idea. The haftas Hashem Lekecha. Love Him. Love Hashem your God. How? How? How do I love him? How do you create love? Love Hashem your God. Do you want to know how? If I say, let's say, go to the store with your car. What am I saying? I'm saying the way to get to the store is your car. Love him with all of your heart, soul, and money. You want to know how to love him? When you give up things for him. When you give up and do things, even things you don't want to do, but you do them. Even when it hurts, you stick it through. Even when it costs you money and you don't want to give the money and you do it, then you will love Him. Love and connection and deep relationship is born out of commitment. When you commit and are willing to sacrifice and give to somebody, that's what creates the real bond and passion. You can't have passion without it. And what what do we say in halo? On on Hashem, please Hashem, Ki ani avdecho I'm your servant, pitachtal my savior. free my bonds, untie me. So everyone wants to know what's going on there, but it occurred to me, I am your servant, I am dedicated, therefore my savior. therefore free me from bondage, let me feel the pleasure of the relationship. The first step is the commitment. Then we have something to talk about and we can have the step two, which is to enjoy it and the pleasure now that we have a relationship. Let's see
1: Rabbi Twiskey talks about inwardly directed love and outwardly directed love. Have you ever read that? He talks about there's two kinds of love. One is inwardly directed love is I love him because of everything he can do for me. He buys me things, he makes me happy, he buys me nice house, you know okay, I love him because of Outwardly directed love, which is the kind of love that we have to express to us God, is what can I do for Him, and what pleasure does it give me to see Him happy and like please Him? That's two kinds of love. Mm-hmm. Is our love for God is not because we expect Him to do
0: things for us, but what we can do for Him? Oh, very, exactly. Very good. That's that's I think the really the deeper form of the relationship. But I, you know, one feeds the other. That's really how it goes. Now, I'm, this is I, I called this on my paper to be. We did one, we did two. This is 2B because, uh, you know, there are fundamental concepts here and I think this one is, in a certain sense, less fundamental and more an indication of maybe human nature, but nonetheless, we are humans and we have human nature and I think, therefore, it's an important, important point, which is, I, I guess maybe I just felt this in my own life. So, if it's true for you, then it's, it's, a, it's a good reason to uh, commit, which is, I, I think I read this maybe in one of Rabbi books, the following story I read this somewhere that this very wealthy person was complaining to him that he had been married several times and every time his wife leaves him and he cannot understand why he said I gave them everything everything they never had to lift a finger there was a cook there was a maid there was everything give them gifts there was nothing they were lacking why did they keep leaving and whoever it was that was advising him said no that's exactly the point Nobody wants to be useless in a relationship. Nobody wants to be unnecessary. You gave them nothing to do. Now, I'm going to call that a human nature point. Because I don't have a proof that that's intrinsically the way nature has to be. But but I'm going to say that I think a lot of us do connect to that. And that is, in our relationship with Hashem, we're trying to connect... I don't think we do so well if we feel useless. And one of the things that helps us feel useful is when we feel like we're putting in to the relationship. So it's true that that day when Judaism and mitzvahs resonate, it really has a warm, fuzzy feeling to it. But you don't necessarily feel like you've given as much as when it doesn't and you've stuck with your commitment and you stuck it through to stay in the relationship and ask yourself, well, what does Hashem want me to do today, despite the fact that I really don't want to do it? Now, I'm going to do it because I'm going to do it for Him. I'm going to do it because I know He wants me to do it, and even though I don't want to, I'm going to do it for Him. That actually feeds a a depth of the relationship because now you feel like a useful participant. Like, you're pulling your weight. You're really investing in this relationship. So I'm not saying that it's so profound. I'm I'm leaving that as a simpler point. I gave it a 2B. I didn't give it a number. But I do think it's a very true point, which at least for myself, sometimes, you know, you're coming to a davening. I I always use davening because it's the most common form where where you struggle, you know, just constantly every day. And you come to davening and you're just not feeling it. And and sometimes, you know, you say, you know what? I really, I can't focus. I can't, but you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to push to focus the best I can. And you push and you feel the strain and it's still mostly gibberish because you really, really weren't feeling it, but you're pushing and you can feel the push and that itself gives a certain life to it. And I thought, why? Well, because I really feel like i put something in here. Putting something in is something that fuels a connection and a relationship and you really feel like you're in something when you're giving to it. So, that's a second point of that, the idea that the commitment breeds a relationship. So the first one was the fact that you can't have a relationship without commitment. And the second one is that it really helps you connect emotionally when you feel like you're giving. Okay, we're covering a lot today. It's a busy day. <laughs> okay, this is my third point. Uh, my It's not my own. This is from the Nesiva Shalom. So as I'm scanning through these many pieces of the Nesiv Shalom, trying to select the and see what I think is good, I, I bump into sometimes in several pieces on opposite ends of the Parsha, where he sometimes will comment on the same similar point, and I find that they're very complementary to each other. See, he says an incredible... This is I actually have on the page, but uh, I think I might, for time's sake, have to say it outside. You know what? No, we're going to read it inside, because it's too good, okay? And this is the third reason why... You need to have commitment if you want to have passion. And this one is probably the most novel, because I don't think any of us saw this coming necessarily, unless you've seen the idea expressed before. And this is the third paragraph you have on your paper in Hebrew. (laughs) Like (laughs) the saintly B'al Shem Tov said, When Hashem gives a person love and desire, Okay, Now what he, he's commenting, the Nesif Shalom is commenting on when Yosef tells his brother, you sold me to Mitzrayim. Now if you just keep in mind who Yosef is in our analogy, Yosef is passion. And Yosef tells his brothers, you sold me to Egypt. So the Nesif Shalom works this Valshemptev to explain what Yosef was saying to them. That the Valshamtav said that when Hashem gives a person love and desire. Now, he doesn't mean love and desire for Hashem. He just means feelings of love and desire. That's a gift from Hashem. So that you will utilize that emotion. The emotions aren't always available when you want them. You know, you ever feel like, well, it's probably appropriate to cry now, but I just don't feel it, right? Emotions aren't always available. But if you're feeling. Passion, he said, that's a gift from Hashem. And you were just gifted an emotional access to passion, and you are meant to use that to develop passion for Hashem. <laughs> he said, however, these there are those who they take that passion and they bring it down, and they put that passion into things which are inappropriate, and that sheha adam ve'atzma Mitzrayim, you know what that's called? That's called selling Yosef to Mitzrayim. You were given passion by Hashem. You were given yourself a Yosef, which is a gift. You don't view it that way, right? And you feel passion for something, you don't feel it's a gift. No, it's a gift. And you have the choice, really. You could start to direct that emotion and, and use it. You now have it alive in you, you can use it. It, it, it means you have access to something and you could develop. It's an opportunity to develop it towards Hashem. Or you could sell Yosef to Mitzrayim. You could sell Yosef to Mitzrayim. And what happens when you sell Yosef to Mitzrayim? You lost the gift. And that's, I think, the third point, which is really, I think, the most novel. Which is, no, you can't have all the passions in the world. You can't have all the passions in the world. They can't all be, you can't be passionate about everything at the same time. And the passion you have is a gift and an opportunity to choose. Do I want to have passion for Hashem? Or am I selling my passion for things which are cheaper? Cheaper placements. And in that sense, passion alone is not really going to work. Because like you said, you could start having passion overboard and for everything and let's just put passion everywhere. Well, guess what? Passion can't go everywhere. So it's only with that Yehuda where you start to decide where it should go with a certain amount of commitment, that you end up being able to channel the passion, to have all the passion you want in the place you want. When that gift is given to you, you're able to bring it to that which you want to bring it to. I know we're really at the time limit, but I want to end with just one unbelievably practical point from the Masisa Sharm. Okay? So let's just review though, because we said a lot. We said you need to have passion, and you need to have commitment and dedication, even when you don't feel. We said even when you don't feel you need to have the even when you don't feel you need to have the, the passion, even if you're committed, you need to have the passion because commitment will burn out. You need the passion to really consume all of the esav. The passion is a much greater force. It's the fire which burns. It's the manure. Start with something and it spreads and it can consume all of esav. But on the flip side, passion alone won't hold you out either because passion could fail. What's going to keep you going? If you disappear when you don't have passion, you won't have something to come back to to be passionate about. Point number two was you actually can't be passionate about a relationship that doesn't have commitment. That's not a relationship. So you need commitment when you don't want to create a relationship which you could even be passionate about. That's called a real relationship. And thirdly, we said that you need commitment to keep your passion in the right places. Otherwise, passion will end up all over. And once it's all over the place, then it it won't be at full force. You sacrifice it to Mitzrayim. You could sell it away. And you need that Yehuda, that, that character of commitment to keep it where you want. One final thought in terms of the creation of passion, just because I think it's very practical. Mrs. Sharm says, we don't have time to read it, but it's in English on the bottom of your page. Worth reading. Which is that even when a person doesn't feel passion, they may ask themselves how to feel passion. And he just gives a very novel, unbelievable idea, which is that if one does certain actions in a passionate way, if one acts with passion, so sometimes a person says, well, what, what should I do? I don't feel passion. I'm committed. and I don't know how to feel passion. So we've spoken before. You make sure you read things, you connect, you try and find things which can help build a passion and awareness. Try and find out information or just contemplate things which can build passion. But a, a, a very handy trick, which Mr. Shum says is, you know what's really accessible to you? Behaving passionately. And he actually says unbelievably, this starts to create a passion inside. So, you know, and he says, I won't read these words because this is... He says, if he acts in a sluggish manner in the movements of his limbs, so too the movement of his spirit will die down and extinguish. So if a guy comes in, comes into daven, comes in to do his mitzvah, you know. Mm, you know? And this guy used to sit next to me in yeshiva, right? And I would not be exaggerating if I said he, he would basically... Yawn, one giant yawn from the beginning of davening till the end. So you can imagine at one point he turned to me and he said, you know, what would you advise in terms of like davening, getting into davening? I said, well, the first thing you need, my friend, is a coffee. Okay? Because this is not going to go anywhere if you're yawning exhaustedly throughout. The first thing is you've just got to get into the right physical place to then get in emotionally. So there is a certain amount to that, and sometimes a person acts in a in a sense in a way which tells himself that this is important. He doesn't. It comes. He dresses himself, puts on his thing. You know, Chassidim like to put on their kaddish. Get into a certain mindset. You are going to do something. You say, "Oh, it's Shabbos." No, I don't feel it's Shabbos yet, right? But I say Shabbos. You know, Shabbos is beautiful. Shabbos is here, right? Shabbat is coming. We're so happy you sing that song. Now what's unbelievable, and this is a trick, I wouldn't say this to you, but I'm telling you this to see what I'm saying. What's unbelievable is that actually can start to stir something and if you read his words, he believes it to be very powerful. Now you don't want to go overboard because you don't want to live a lie. It's not about living a lie. It's about helping yourself in combination with the things you think about and everything else that you do to genuinely grow. But this is one of the things which can springboard and, and really jumpstart the heart and the emotion, the passion can start with this external. And in the phrase that's often used by the the muster giants is There's The external awakens the internal. There's a phrase in English for that. It's called fake it till you
1: make it. Correct. Words,
0: yes. You're right. right. To, to some, some extent. extent is, that is, that you don't re- want to be nice to
1: someone mm-hmm. because you really... You
0: just do it and then maybe. Then it's it's absolutely true. I just took my, I took my, my son to get an extraction, a tooth, two, two teeth extracted. It was a big ass eye. I didn't get back till shortly before this year. It was, uh, it took a coffee to get me here. But, uh, <laughs> the, the, one of the things right when we got there, something went wrong. And I was sitting there looking and we're, we're thinking, we just got here. There's no way to fix this. What should we do? And I, uh, I made a choice. The choice was, I'm going to laugh now. I'm going to my son is looking at me and he's trying to think like he just did something which sort of put us in a tough position. He's looking at me. I made a choice. The choice was I'm going to laugh now. I don't actually think this is funny, but I'm going to laugh now. And I laughed and he laughed. And you know what it became okay. And this is a very powerful idea when used correctly in the right balance that these external actions are a great way to begin to jumpstart, to at least get us in the right place and frame of mind position where we could get that passion to become alive and hopefully, emits Hashem, like Hashem said to the Navi, it's the stick of Yehuda and the stick of Yosef, the two of them together, the commitment, the dedication to go through the mud for Hashem, whether we like it or not or feel it or not, and that passion and the combination of both of them, emits Hashem, should give us that true and total and absolute bond with Hashem, with tremendous love, passion and commitment for our entire life.